What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Mike and Dave Podcast. Dave here, and episode 55 is going to be a pretty good one. It's full of a bunch of different segments. We're going to start off with Off the Top, as we always do, and then we're going to get into our NBA Finals preview, even though while we're while we were recording, the series aren't technically decided yet, but they basically are. So we're going to go ahead and get into an NBA Finals preview after that. You already know because it's episode 55, we've got a top five. So we're going to be ranking our top five favorite sports movies of all time. So make sure you stick around for that one. And then, of course, as we always have, the hot seat and the fun facts. So definitely a full episode. So let's go get go ahead and get right into it. Hey, everyone. This is Mike. And it is my turn to bring the prompt for off the top. So to sort of intro this, I'm just going to provide you with some information, none of which is new to you. You know all this, but this is just kind of context, I guess. So of the last 10 coaches in the NBA to win coach of the year, here are the ones that are still employed by by those same teams. Mike Brown, who won it this year. Tom Thibodeau, who in all fairness, just had a better season than he did when he actually won the award two years ago. Steve Kerr, coach of this generation's dynasty, and Greg Popovich, probably the best coach of all time. So, since uh, their respective seasons have ended this summer, the Suns have fired Monty Williams, who won it last year. The Raptors fired Nick Nurse, who won it in 2020 and won the championship in 2019. The Bucks fired Coach Budenholzer, who won Coach of the Year in 2019 and the championship in 2021. And Doc Rivers was fired by the 76ers. Um, I just want to ask, like, your thoughts on this. Uh, I guess, like, as far as questions go, like, should these coaches have been fired? Uh, some yes, some no, question mark. Um, how long should, like, I'm looking at, Coach Budenholzer, for example, just two years ago, he won the championship. Uh, should winning a championship give a coach like a certain amount of uh, mm, like a kind of j- get out of jail free card? Like, oh, you're safe for X years because you won. Um, when should a team give up on their coach? I just want to hear your thoughts on because this is a, pretty much an unprecedented amount of head coach firings of like this high caliber. So I just want to hear your thoughts on that. For sure. Well, yeah, I mean, you don't typically see coaches who lead their teams to the playoffs and most of whom have won the premier award for coaches in the NBA in the last few seasons get fired in the same off season. Um, Budenholzer, that was a a surprising one. I, I know that that was a major upset. But at this point, you can't really say that the Heat don't deserve it. Um, it wasn't just the Bucks that they that they beat. Uh, so it's, I don't know, it's one of those where I think that was just a really tough decision. And, you know, the, the Bucks dealt with some injuries and, you know, you, you can't win it every season. So I, th- I thought that one was pretty unfair. Monty Williams, like... He was still trying to do him. the The front office is, or yeah, the front office. James Jones, um, 
they were the ones that were pulling all the strings and, you know, sacrificing all of their depth to bring in top, you know, top talent, top stars. Yeah, it didn't end up working out. Um, so I don't really know about that one. I mean, Nick Nurse, it seemed like that one was pretty amicable between the two. Like he was ready to move on as well. So I can't really say too much about that one. I mean, also that Raptors championship was kind of a, for me, a like flash in the pan. I mean, obviously Kawhi's not there anymore. Like the the vast, like the a lot of the big players in that that championship team aren't there anymore. So I I can see that one. Maybe they just need to go and they they each need to kind of go their own way. So that one I don't really care about too much. And then Doc Rivers, like. To be honest, I've never really thought that he was that great of a coach. Like, he's had some really talented teams. Um, they've never really won or done super well um, when it really mattered most. Like, he always makes the playoffs, but then nothing ever really happens. So, I think especially the 76ers, if they wanted to keep Harden, it seems like they needed to get rid of Rivers. And he hadn't really shown that the 76ers could get over the hump and into the finals. Um, anyway, so yeah, I don't really mind that one either. The, the Monty Williams and the, and the Budenholzer ones, though, those ones were pretty shocking to me. Um, I, f- I feel like one bad postseason, it's not even regular season. One bad postseason doesn't mean just, just let go. And so often I think we see that the coaches are the scapegoats for, the teams and like it's a lot easier to fire the coach and eat that money than it is to trade your top stars and so it's it's tough out there it seems like winning coach of the year is becoming an award that you don't actually don't want to win <laughs> um which is crazy but like it seems to be a curse on it like mike brown watch out next couple years it's not like the king's ownership has been that great <laughs> Anyway, so like I wouldn't be surprised, but yeah, it's 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 a brutal world out there to be a a head coach in the NBA, and you really have to, you know, try to surpass and live up to the expectations that are put on you. And sometimes I feel like those are unrealistic. And I mean, I just saw a thing yesterday. I think it was uh, it was an article like should the Knicks look to go separate ways from Tom Thibodeau? It's like. Holy cow, chill. You know, like the Knicks are finally relevant. Yeah. <laughs> like is that was that's a gargantuan, like Herculean effort in and of itself to yeah. make that happen. Like Yeah. But I mean I agree with well, I I'd actually go a step further. I think Doc Rivers is like one of the most overrated coaches ever. Uh I feel like my whole life I've had to hear about how good of a coach he was. He won coach of the year in two thousand. Uh Mm, you know but like dude's lost 10 game sevens in his career as a coach which is not just not only is that the most of all time the second most is five (laughs) like he just does this uh and it doesn't matter what team he's on how loaded with talent uh, it is and his lone championship was with the celtics and that was like 2008 ish uh Mm -hmm. so Okay, before LeBron went to Miami, that's that's when Doc Rivers won a championship. He can't seem to do it in today's NBA or 
the NBA of a decade ago, even like, yeah, I don't, right. I don't care if he never coaches again, frankly, but like, yeah, I agree with you about coach Bud and Monty Williams though. I think those are harsh, but it makes it really makes you wonder like, who's the next coach to go, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we saw it, it happen with Dwayne Casey too, uh, a few years ago, but for what it's worth though, like on the opposite end of the spectrum, look at like, okay, the Nuggets are officially going to the finals. We're recording this on Tuesday, the 23rd, uh, which means around the time that we finish recording the uh, game four of the Heat Celtics series will be over. We're just going with the assumption that the finals is Nuggets and Heat feels safe given that no team has ever come back from down three to nothing. Um, but we got the Nuggets in the finals. Mike Malone has been uh, the Nuggets coach since what? Michael Malone. Oh, I'm so sorry. I, I, I saw a uh, a clip where some reporter or like interviewer or something was addressing him like at halftime or whatever. And she was like, I'm here with coach Mike Malone. And he, he's just like deadpan, just like looks straight at her like Michael Malone. It's Michael Malone. It's like, okay. And she was just like, so like, she so uh, caught off guard. She was like, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I was just like, oh my God. So I've always remembered that. So I'm just like, okay, it's Michael Malone. Coming from someone who shares the name, like Mike Malone just sounds so much better though. Like it does. Bro. Yeah. <laughs> Also, whatever. Um, he can be called whatever. Michael Malone um, has Malone. been the <laughs> Michael Ooh. Malone has been the Nuggets head coach since 2015. Uh, so dang, that's yeah, longer than it, I would have thought. Yeah, it doesn't feel like that long ago, does it? Yeah. Um, but they've stuck with him for the past eight years. You take Eric Spolstra; he's been the head coach of Miami since 2008. Um, and this one's more relevant to the off the top conversation because, you know, they, the Heat won the championship in 2012 and 2013 and not again since. Like, if any team, you, you might look at the Heat and be like, oh, they're probably going to give up on Spo at some point, right? Uh, after LeBron leaves, the Heat are having their down years. But no, they just, they stuck with them. Uh, they rebuilt. I mean, the Heat are like, quintessential rebuild here like building a team the right way all these undrafted players and everything and he's rewarded them uh it shows you that like sticking with a coach letting your team develop can pay off but some of these teams are just not willing to be patient on it yeah it's it's a what have you done for me lately type of situation and sometimes that lately can literally be this season and one one playoff series is all it takes. Like crazy, absolutely crazy. But okay, with that, I think we'll just transition right into our NBA Finals preview. Under again, under the assumption that it'll be the Nuggets and the Heat. If you know what, if the Celtics come back from down zero to three, we'll we'll record another episode or something, and we'll we'll adapt. I feel safe though. Um, I was about to say we'll we'll put out a statement on social media saying we're, we're sorry, we're we're big the, dummies. Yeah, like the we were banking on 
historical data that said there is abs- there is zero percent chance that this will happen. So um, we'll record a special episode just talking about the Celtics and how they came back and what to expect from them and all that. But as it stands, we'll go ahead and and break down this NBA Finals matchup, this juicy NBA Finals matchup between the Nuggets and the Heat. And I've got to be honest, when we were recording uh, and we were giving our like NBA playoff preview, neither of us had either of these two teams at, like in our favorites to to win the finals this year. Um, I basically chose whoever was coming out of the East, but I did not think that the Heat were going to make it. I don't think many people did, to be honest. Mike, you had a couple of a couple of teams from the East and the Warriors, as well as as your teams to make it. So definitely two teams that we didn't have as like top contenders or who who we really thought could make it all the way. So the way that we're going to structure this is Mike's going to take the Heat, and then I'm going to take the Nuggets, and we're going to basically break down what we've seen from those teams, X factors, all that kind of stuff. So I think. Mike, I'll, I'll go ahead and start with you with the Heat. I think it probably makes sense to go ahead and start with arguably the best player in these playoffs so far and Jimmy Butler. I think the Heat both start and end with him, with their chances of, of winning it all this season. I know Jimmy Butler is your favorite player. What have you seen from him so far and what are you expecting to see in the finals? Well, what I love about Jimmy slash what makes him so deadly, especially in the playoffs, is this sounds like a cliche, but he really just takes what the defense gives him. Um, excuse me. I look at a guy like uh, like Jason Tatum, for example, and you know that like he wants to go out and score, and he's, I mean, not just most effective when he's dropping thirty, but almost exclusively effective. If he's dropping like 25 plus, right? If essentially when you're facing the Celtics, if Tatum or Jalen Brown doesn't drop 30 plus, they're probably not winning a playoff game unless they both score 26. Or, you know what I mean? Like you stop them from scoring, you stop them from winning. But in these three games against the Celtics, just as three examples, the Heat have won in three different ways. Game one. Jimmy Butler goes out, drops 35. Uh, game two, he drops, I think it was 28, but he's uh, getting more assists, more rebounds, um, deferring a little bit more. Game three, where they just completely humiliated, demoralized the Celtics. He scored, I think, 18 points. Jimmy Butler doesn't need to drop 30 every game to be effective. It's almost like his scoring is secondary, if not like tertiary to his impact on the court. His primary impact as far as like winning goes is just creating that winning culture. Uh, The team rallies around him. Um, And so he just does what he needs to do, whether that's score, whether that's playmake, get to the free throw line, play defense, whatever it is. Get under the skin of Grant Williams or whoever else. Be an irritant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So... I'll be looking at that against the Nuggets. I mean, he's still averaging 30, basically 30 points on over 50% shooting. Um, He's getting almost seven rebounds a game, almost six assists a game, over two steals, almost a block. Uh, He's not turning the ball over that much either. Um, He's just 
been very efficient and very good in the at like at the same time. Um, so I'm looking at that. Um, as far as an X factor goes, I have to say Bam Adebayo because they'll be facing the Nuggets. You know, like uh, Nikola Jokic has been able to. I mean, you'll talk more about this, but like. If you're stopping the, if you want to get past the Nuggets, you have to have an answer for Jokic. Um, the Lakers did not, and they're the Heat are going to be looking to Bam for that. And you and I both have talked on this podcast about how good of a defender Bam Adebayo can be. He really needs to show that in the finals against Jokic because guarding him is not going to be like just guarding Embiid or something. It's a compl- or especially not like Julius Randle, who just wants to score every time, is a completely different, uniquely disciplined experience trying to guard him. Um, but, I mean, what else there is to love about the Heat is, I mean, I'm just looking at their resilience, and this is what gives me hope against the Nuggets. It doesn't really matter if they go down. I mean, games one and two, they were trailing by like 12, 13 points in both games. They didn't care. Uh, they sure as hell didn't care that ESPN made them a or gave him a three percent chance to win this series. I checked today; they're still given like I think Boston is still over fifty percent chance to win the series, even though they're down three nothing. Which, by the way, that's disrespectful. Somebody must have just forgotten to update the model or something. <laughs> I'm yeah, something something needs to be fixed. Um, but yeah, they're unbothered by the noise. Uh, they're, and then of course this has gone all the way around social media and everything. So this is not news, but they literally have more undrafted players in their rotation than lottery players. I mean, Kevin Love was a lottery player 15 years ago. Cody Zeller was one like 10 years ago. Um, and then you got Bam Adebayo, who's the last pick of his lottery, uh, six years ago. But then you got Duncan Robinson, Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, and Caleb Martin, all undrafted players, all getting more time, more shine than Cody Zeller, for example. Like this team just builds, and then they they have their role players that do their job well, and then they all follow Jimmy's role, or not Jimmy's role. Sorry, they all follow Jimmy's leadership and the example that he sets. Mm-hmm. Um, the Heat, or, when you take a team like the Nuggets, who can you can, who you can identify as being like based on Jokic's game. It's like the heat are just based on the culture that Jimmy Butler sparks. And that's what I love. About well, this team. and their coaches, um, I guess, yeah, I guess I want to start that over. Well, yeah. And their coaches ability to get the most out of his players, I feel like, and put them into, and, the best positions for them to succeed. We've been seeing this. The fact that you can have a coach who can manage the personalities and egos of James, Wade, and Bosch, and then also find success with this group of ragtag, like, (laughs) you know, undrafted, discarded, traded away, whatever you want to call it, guys. Um, not everybody not not every coach can can do both and and he's definitely one of the the best ones in the NBA today so i feel like that's 
another huge factor to this and the fact that he's been there before he's won championships before and that counts for a lot i think when especially when you get down to the finals like that it's a whole different beast to the previous rounds so i'm not, i'm looking forward to seeing that too and you know jimmy butler's been able to it's almost like he took the the regular season off in a way i mean i know that we we moved him down our ranking of our top 25 NBA players right now because the regular season was just kind of meh for him. But now it's looking like he was just saving himself for the playoffs and he's been doing exactly what the Heat need him to do in order to, to get to this point. So yeah, it's it's been a great story. I mean, the fact that it's going to be a number one seed versus a number eight seed is kind of crazy in the finals. Like you just... You would not expect to see that. Yeah, so in the 1999 NBA Finals, the Knicks made it to the finals as an eight seed, and they faced the number one seeded Spurs. Now, this was that weird, like, shortened season where there were only, like, 50 games. But still, it happened. So the Heat would be the second eight seed to make the finals, assuming they do. And, you know, this episode is assuming they do. But if they win... They would be the first eight seed to ever win it. So that'd be fun. It would be. And it would be a testament to the fact that like maybe the 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 play in tournament is actually a good thing because without it, the you know, the Heat would not have been in the same position that they were. I, I'm also still thinking about the freaking Hawks and how they beat the Heat and how to face the Celtics. <laughs> and you know, it kind of set all that up. Not that I think that the Hawks would have done anything because now the Heat are going to beat the Celtics. So it really didn't really matter too yeah. much. But um, yeah, I mean, I think around the NBA, people who maybe didn't even recognize Jimmy Butler's greatness or they'd kind of forgotten. This is a, a rude wake-up call. Um, to them and the rest of the league that he still has it when it comes down to, to playoff time. And he just got that switch, got that dog in him um, that allows him to elevate his game when it, when it matters most. So yeah, the Heat have been a great story. And, you know, now we're going to kind of get into the Nuggets a little bit. And this is also been a great story in my mind but obviously in a much different way than the heat the heat are the underdogs only making it through the play-in tournament you know upset after upset to get here the nuggets are the team that obviously Jokic has been great for a few seasons now and they just haven't really experienced as much playoff success as they would have hoped having an mvp caliber talbot an MVP caliber talent there to, to lead the team. Like you said, Michael Malone has been there for quite a few seasons now. Like the, um, him and, and Jokic have had time to figure it out. And Jokic has gotten better and better. And this season was the return of Jamal Murray. And that has been absolutely huge for this Nuggets team. Not to mention the fact that they brought in Bruce Brown He's been unbelievable. KCP has had a, a career season there. Um, Aaron Gordon, the trade that they made for him, 
he's turned into a much better player, even if his stats aren't as good and he's not as featured. He's a better role player than he was at being a, a star player in Orlando. Um, and Michael Porter Jr. still has not really lived up to the hype, but he's been healthy enough and productive enough to where he's given them another good offensive option as well. And obviously this all centers around Jokic and his ability to be an offensive genius um, in terms of whether that's somehow making these three-pointers that he, that he's just chucking <laughs> from behind his head over tight defense at the end of the shot clock and just draining him. Like, I don't understand how he's doing that. To um, just knowing where his teammates are going to be, his, his basketball IQ, his ability to run plays, but also improvise when he sees an opening is just second to none right now. And the fact that he's a center is... I think we're as as much as we might talk about it or the MVP awards that he's received, I still don't think we're talking about it enough how crazy this is that of what we're seeing. I mean, he just broke Wilt Chamberlain's record for triple doubles in the postseason. Like this guy is doing things that are unprecedented before and he didn't even he didn't win the MV, the MVP this year. I don't think that he really cared at all. To be honest with you, I think he's looking at it like we've got a. I think we have the team and the infrastructure in place right now to where we can really have a shot at winning this whole thing. And you've got to say, I think the Nuggets still have to be the favorite in the finals. I think that's exactly the way the Heat want it. But when yeah. you look at the Nuggets and their their journey to where they are right now, I mean. It's been pretty, like, they were tied with the Suns two games apiece. They went and took care of business. Um, and, you know, sweeping the Lakers, like, sure, it's not the LeBron of old. Like, it's just old LeBron. <laughs> um, but still, the fact that the, the Lakers were, that they took down the Warriors and the Grizzlies, like, it, it says something that they were still had some fight. They were still a, a good team and deserved to be there. But the fact that they were able to sweep them in three out of the four were close games, but the fact that they were able to pull through and, and clutch up, like that just showed the, the step and the, the leap that they've made from previous seasons to this season, having everybody healthy, um, the continued improvement up and down the roster, which again, it starts with Jokic and he just makes everybody better. So that has a big, uh, influence on it too so it it really has been a a really really great season for the nuggets it's the first time they're going to the nba finals in franchise history so that's that's another great uh, i mean the heat are like they have a rich history of the last 20 years but the nuggets like even though they're they're the one seed they're the ones who haven't been to the finals before so um so yeah, really, really exciting. In terms of X-Factor, it's kind of tough because obviously it's Jokic, right? Um, but <laughs> I, you could even say Jamal Murray because Murray's been really, really good th these playoffs as well. He's averaging almost 28 points a game, um, six assists, over one and a half steals. He's leading him in minutes as well. So 
he's had a, a fantastic postseason. We already saw this from him in 2020. Uh, we knew that he has the ability to turn it on, kind of like Jimmy. I imagine that Jimmy will be guarding Jamal, um, which should be a very intriguing matchup. I don't know if Jamal is going to guard Jimmy, though. And that's kind of where I'm curious to see who they're going to have guard him. Is it going to be Aaron Gordon? Are they are they going to trust Aaron Gordon to guard him? I know they had Gordon on LeBron a decent amount. And he did an okay job, all things considered. He played great defense on the last shot of the game that LeBron took. Um, Jamal Murray also played great defense on that, to be fair. But it's kind of hard. I would say whoever's guarding Jimmy is going to be the X factor for the Nuggets. Um, it could be Bruce Brown. It could be KCP. Like they have options uh, there. Whoever they think could do the best job on him, I'd I could see Bruce Brown maybe um, doing a, doing at least a reasonable job. But <laughs> I was going to say doing a good job, but. It's still Jimmy, so probably not. Um, but, but yeah, I think whoever is whoever's guarding him and trying to slow him down is is going to be important. But I think at the end of the day, I have to say Jamal Murray, just because I think you have Jimmy as as the obvious alpha of the Heat. You have Jokic as the obvious alpha of the Nuggets. They they do a lot of different things well, but when it comes down to who's next in line. Like you said, it's, it's Bam Adebayo for the heat and it's Jamal Murray for, for the nuggets. And you picked Bam. I think I got to pick Jamal. Like we know that Jokic and Jimmy are going to come out and do their thing. Like that is pretty much a given at this point. They're going to, they're not going to be the reason that their teams lose, but Jamal Murray or Adebayo can be the reason that their teams win. If Jamal can tire Jimmy out if he can still manage to score and relieve some of the pressure off of Jokic then he could I could even see him winning finals MVP type like he has the ability we, we've seen it from him before out of bio if he's able to actually slow Jokic down and disrupt what the Nuggets are trying to do offensively as well as being more assertive and um and attacking Jokic on on offense being able to, you know, maybe get him in foul trouble, like slow him down, um, then I, I could see Bam doing the same thing. But in terms of, you know, the alpha versus the the beta or whatever, the number two guy, usually it is the the number two. If they are able to step up their games, then that makes the big difference. So, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say Jamal Murray, but with the obvious caveat of like, yeah, we know Jokic is the best player in the series. So um, that's kind of a, a easy way out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jokic is going to Jokic at an unbelievably high rate. It's, I mean, when you look at Jokic, I feel like there are some players where uh, if you're a young aspiring basketball player, right? If you take someone like Giannis, I mean, you can watch this is very like simplistic but bear with me like you can watch video of Giannis and be like okay he's like amazing right but Jokic is the type of player that you study like i feel like i can watch 
I mean, I'm not an aspiring basketball player, but like, you know, even if I'm just like trying to play in a rec league or something, you know, like I can watch, if I watch Kevin Durant or Giannis or whomever, I can be like, okay, I'm watching them for fun. This is amazing. I feel like watching Jokic can actively make you better at basketball. Like his IQ is just so far off the charts. It's almost um, contagious. Like, cause he makes you think about the game differently. He's cerebral. It's mm-hmm. so fun. Um, and, the, the, and you you see him lumbering around. And if you do nothing about basketball, you'd be you would not in a million years pick him as like, yep, this guy is the one. This guy is the best player on the court right now. Um, if you're like the game is just about to tip off, like you're like, nah, no way. But it's I think it's also the willingness. And you said this kind of about, uh, kind of about Jimmy too. Like he's gonna take, he's gonna do what he needs to do in order to win. He's he's gonna take the the path of least resistance, and that's what Jokic does so so well, is not forcing it. He's patient, but when he sees an opening, he attacks it, um, and he can. You know it, it's he understands that it's not like he could go out there and he could score a lot. Um, but how much better will the offense be and will his teammates be if he can use that other part of his game to involve them? I mean, you all, I think it's, it's pretty evident that the more involved players are on offense, the more involved they're going to be on defense. Like it's specifically talking about the guys who are like, third, fourth, fifth starters um, or, you know, bench players or whatever. Like they're, if everybody's touching the ball, everybody's getting opportunities, it's flowing. Like people are just going to be more engaged. Um, that's just the way it goes. If you're just standing in the corner and never getting the ball and just watching, you know, your best player ISO, like 50% of the possessions, like what your, your focus, your, motivation just it just ebbs that's just that's just human nature so you know just ability to involve all of his teammates make the right play it's got to be exciting it makes you want to cut it makes you want to to you know keep running keep going and gives you that extra energy because you know he'll find you well to your point like you brought up aaron gordon and how much better he's been with the nuggets than he was in orlando you look back at those Orlando Magic teams and like from the top down, like you could tell that Orlando as a whole was just trying to figure out what they had. And so you just had a bunch of guys on the team just kind of, maybe I can be the guy, maybe I can be the guy, you know, no one knows if they'll be there in two years. And it kind of fell on Aaron, Aaron Gordon. He was just the best player that happened to be there, but there was no cohesion. There was no connectivity there. It was just a bunch of guys playing basketball he comes to Denver where he's like, he can be an active member of the team and other guys, namely the best player on the team is actively looking for you. He knows that like, he's one of the best dunkers in the game. Of course he wants to cut, but cutting in Orlando was useless because no one was looking for him. Now he can actually do that. And there's some, uh, probative value to doing so because there's someone actively looking for him. Like it's hand in glove. 
And of course, so of course he's doing better. There are guys there that want him to do better. Exactly. And if you're a three and D guy like KCP, for instance, you're the fact is you're getting set up with great looks all the time. Like, so you should be be doing well, but it just makes you like, it just puts you in like a, a comfort zone. It, it puts you in like a, you know, I know that if I do my part, I'm going to get the ball and I'm going to have chances um, and I'm going to get really good looks. And there's also like, it's a confidence thing too. So, um, so yeah, so honestly, like the, the Nuggets versus the Heat, I think it's going to be a really scintillating series. It's going to be, um, you know, two teams that I feel like in general people could get behind winning it all. Um, the underdog story with, you know, with a guy who's really come out and, and shown the world what he's about and, and Jimmy Butler this year. And then on the other side, Jokic, two-time MVP, fi- like finally getting a chance to play in the finals and that franchise finally getting a chance to to play for a championship. Um, really, really entertaining stuff. So now we've come to the part of the show where we need to make a prediction. So, Mike, I'm going to ask you for who do you think is going to win, how many games, and finals MVP. Okay. Um, I'm going Heat. And here's why. Uh, you look back, Google like NBA champions by year, right? Just look at year by year who's won the championship. And way more often than not, if you, if you look at the two teams and there's a decent amount of difference in experience, regardless of whether that experience has come in winning or losing, just like have these guys played in the finals before. Usually that more experienced team wins. Um, looking on the Nuggets, KCP has played in the finals uh, on the bubble Lakers. Um, but otherwise, not a whole lot. Um, the Heat, most of this team was on that Heat team that played in the bubble finals. And they're led by Eric Spolstra, who's going into his sixth NBA finals as a head coach. Um, Michael Malone does not have finals coaching experience. So based on that, like it's tempting for me to pick the heat anyway. And then Jimmy is just one of the guys that's hard for me to bet against. Um, I am going to go with the heat for those two reasons, but a sweep. No, (laughs) Uh, I'm probably going to go heat and six on this one. Um, that would have the Heat finishing in Miami. Um, if it goes to Game Seven in Denver, though, that's tough. <laughs> that is very tough. Um, now that's when it's really convenient to be Miami, a team that doesn't really give a shit about all that, or at least does a great job faking like they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but Game Seven against a one-seeded Denver is kind of nightmarish you already have the altitude home court advantage thing um but yeah i'm gonna go heat and six and my finals mvp shocker here it's gonna be jimmy 
yeah, I definitely get what you're saying with the heat. It makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, they've made it this far. Why can't they just go all the way? They have the coach, the the star player, and then the guys around him, the depth to uh, support him in this finals run. Um, you know, they they dismantled de-antlered the Bucks. Um, they rolled over the Knicks, which, you know, that's easy to do. And then, you know, they're going to beat the Celtics, who everybody, me included, thought these guys are are the favorites right now for winning the championship this year. So it's it's hard to to bet against them. Um, I am going to, though. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say the Nuggets. I mean, we didn't really plan it this way, but, like, it makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean... I think that this is this year's the year. Um, there, the Nuggets have really been clicking on all cylinders. I think in the past they've had the offense, but the defense has let them down. Their defense has improved significantly, both with the the acquisitions that they brought in, like Aaron Gordon, like Bruce Brown, um, but also just you know having that team together for a little while longer. And I guess just seeing the the cohesion and the team defense being played, you know, I I feel like it's just the, it's the Nuggets' time. It's Jokic's time. Like we saw Giannis get it done a couple years ago. It was his time. I feel like now it's Jokic. Um, obviously MVP. I'm going to go Jokic as well. When you're averaging a basically a thirty point triple double in the playoffs. <laughs> it, it, it's really like not going to be anybody else unless Jamal Murray just goes off for like 40 every game, um, which I can't imagine is going to happen every game. Then it's going to be Jokic. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say it's going to be in seven games though. It's really hard for me to see the heat come this far and then just not be able to put up a fight. Um, that home court advantage will be really nice for Denver. That's always a tough place to go play. And for me, I also just want a game seven. That would be must see TV. Um, that would just, it would be great. But yeah, I think I got to go with um, with the Nuggets in seven. Also, I did want to point out Jeff Green has played in the finals. He lost when he's with the Cavs to the Warriors, but he did play in the finals. So there is another guy. And when you have Uncle Jeff on your team, that's pretty much all the experience you need. Like, let's be honest. Um, he counts for like three three veterans all on his own. So, And I will clarify, this isn't that I, I do have to pick the heat, but I've said multiple times on this podcast how uh, disappointed I was that or when Jamal Murray has had to miss with injury the past few seasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, you remember me saying that I thought they would have won the bubble if Jamal Murray hadn't gotten hurt. So, like, had it not been against the heat, or Hawks, you know, <laughs> the Nuggets would be who I'd be rooting for because of that. It would be very uh, validating. And I guess since you said Nuggets in seven, we are in agreement that if it goes to seven, the Nuggets are going right. to win it. Um, so it, I'm very much looking forward to it more so than more so than I've been looking forward to a finals in a few years. Um, it's just two very. Uh, Like, the teams are so 
team-centered rather than player-centered. I mean, they have amazing players, but like, okay, Jokic is one of the best, if not the best players in the world, but it's not, it doesn't have the same feel of like a Giannis-led team or a Durant-led team or whatever, or even a LeBron-led team, because it's just, he's the, the engine driving that Nuggets machine. And in a different way, Jimmy does the same kind of thing. Um, culturally speaking, like it's like watching two teams instead of what, uh, featuring their star players rather than just watching the players. It, I don't know. It's weird in my head. That yeah. Makes sense. Well, well with LeBron, but, it was basically wherever he was, they went to the finals. You're just watching LeBron's team, not the name of the team that they were playing or like the Warriors, for instance, like it was almost like, okay, we get it, <laughs> you know? Um, but the nuggets and the, and the heat, especially this year, it's it's everything that's that's good about the NBA right now in my mind. Especially and it's also a microcosm of what the season was where it was really open for you know the vast majority of it and it's also kind of ironic that the balance of the, of power kind of shifting more towards the east with you know a lot of teams with really good records it seemed like these were the you know the the bucks the, the Celtics the Sixers these were going to be the teams that were going to really be tough to beat. And it's the heat coming out of all of it um, last on top in the East. So yeah, I, I totally agree Two kind of fresh. I know the heat have been there, but this is a very different team. Um, and also when that no one was really expecting to make it. So yeah, refreshing and just the, the players involved should be really, um, it should be, it should just be really good basketball and really fun basketball to watch. So definitely looking forward to it. Absolutely. So let us know your thoughts going into the NBA finals. Uh, Holy cow. I hope that the Celtics don't just win four straight. I'm going to, I feel confident saying that they won't, but assuming that this is our finals matchup, let us know your thoughts, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mike and Dave pod. Uh, we'd love to hear your predictions. Make them before game one. Don't be a cheater. Uh, we've done it with ours. So to recap, I had the Heat in six. Dave has the Nuggets in seven. But I think this will wrap up our preview for the 2023 NBA Finals. When we come back, we're going to go ahead and get into our top five favorite sports movies of all time. So stick around. Okay, we are in episode 55, which means it's time for another top five. Um, in episode 50, we did our favorite sports logos of all time. Now we're going to get into what could potentially be somewhat controversial in naming our top five favorite sports movies of all time. I know there are a lot of iconic ones. A lot of people have very strong opinions on these. There's like nostalgia is involved. Um, you know, obviously your favorite sports have an impact. Uh, it really depends on who it, who the movie watcher is in, in terms of what movies they're going to pick. So um, as always, neither Mike nor I have heard the others list. So we're going to go ahead and share those. Um, Mike, if you want to go first and share your, uh, your list from five to one. Totally. So I'm glad you mentioned nostalgia. I feel like also glad you said the word controversial because Holy cow, this is going to be. Uh, 
this isn't too much of a spoiler, but I have a feeling like there are going to be some movies that are left off my list and potentially off yours as well, where you might be listening at home and you're like, what? You didn't say, insert movie title here. That's a classic for my list, full disclosure. I don't care if it's a classic. (laughs) That doesn't have any bearing on how much I liked it. And after we do our top five lists, maybe I'll mention a couple movies where I'm like, I understand the cultural impact. I understand that it's a classic, blah, 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 blah. But I don't care. These are just our top fives. It's not saying these are the top five best. It's just like, these are our top five favorites. So. Right, right. So, from here's mine. Okay, I'm just going to, okay. So, with that said, let me go ahead and kick it off. My number five, White Men Can't Jump, but not this stupid remake. <laughs> the classic. Yeah. Hey, so you do like the classics. <laughs> all, all of that, uh prefacing that i did just to have a movie from 1992 as my number five um this movie is older than i am uh woody harrelson and wesley snipes man what a what a duo um yeah uh it is hard work being this good iconic line (laughs) hilarious um now this remake is on hulu however the original movie is also on Hulu. Watch that one. If you haven't seen it before, there's your homework. Because this is hilarious. Now, that said, spoiler alert for the movie, not my list. One thing that's really cool to me about this movie, Dave, I know you and I have talked about this, not with this movie, but different movies before, is it's really cool when movies just take a different turn from what's generally expected or how like you know the plot tends to go or whatever so here's the spoiler in at the end of white men can't jump he doesn't get the girl back uh you go through the whole like back and forth or fighting they're not he messes up he gets her back he messes up he gets her back and then he messes up and you're and then they win the basketball game and you're sure that it's all gonna work out and then she's just gone and then the movie ends like, I love that. I love that it doesn't end the way you expect it to. Um, I love that. I love how frustrating of a character Billy Hoyle is. It makes him more human. Um, and of course, Wesley Snipes is hilarious. So, <laughs> phenomenal movie. Um, number four. Uh, Rocky, and its sequels are classics. But what I like even more is Creed. Creed is such a well-done uh, fight movie, or boxing movie, rather, and its sequel. I thought about Creed 2, and I, what I ultimately decide on is just kind of having a 4A and 4B of Creed's 1 and 2. Um, the way they bring the story full circle, bringing Sylvester Stallone back as Rocky to train the son of Apollo Creed as he develops his own fighting career... And then in Creed 2, fights the son of the Russian fighter that killed his father in the ring. Like, that's amazing. Uh, And you're talking about, like, 30 years later in the movie-making process, like, the the movie industry has gotten 30 years better. And Michael B. Jordan does a phenomenal job in that role. 
and we get to see the versatility of Sylvester Stallone stepping from the fighter into the the coach or the manager, right? Um, going into the corner, I guess. Um, number three, I actually do have another classic, also from 1992, A League of Their Own. There's no crying in baseball. Okay. Um, for both its historical impact, its its message, its timeless comedy. <laughs> this movie is fantastic. Um, so many quotable lines in it. Um, also the way that um, they set up the framing device of like at the beginning and end, they're going back to this museum to reflect on. And then the rest of the movie is that reflection. Mm-hmm. That's really cool as well to me. Um, just artistically speaking. Okay, number two. So, in 1974, Burt Reynolds starred in The Longest Yard. And 31 years later, Adam Sandler, who in basically every other movie that he's in, I don't like. (laughs) But, in The Longest Yard remake, my man was killing it. Uh, The 2005 version of The Longest Yard is amazing to me. What's really special is that Burt Reynolds comes back. So... If you're not familiar with the movie, you have the older uh, prisoner, uh, Nate Scarborough, and then the uh, the star, Paul Crew. So Burt Reynolds played Paul Crew in the original and then came back to play Nate Scarborough, the older prisoner, in the remake, which was really cool. But then you look at you take a look at the cast of the remake. You got Adam Sandler um, and Burt Reynolds, like I said. Then you have Chris Rock, Nellie, Terry Crews, um, like... All these, like, um, Bob Sapp, like, all these, like, random people where you're like, oh, um, uh, Michael Irvin, <laughs> the playmaker. It's like, what are you doing in this movie? Um, but absolutely hilarious. Um, I got the fries to melt your eyes, the shakes to make you quake. I got the burgers because I got, I just got the burgers. Like, Cheeseburger Eddie, iconic. Um, also, the caretaker scene, one of the first uh, movie scenes to really like hit me emotionally. So that's a little bit of personal, like sentimentality to it. But number one, and this is probably the most like objectively good of my five. I think remember the Titans, man. Remember the Titans is such a freaking good movie. Uh, I think Denzel Washington won an award for that. If he didn't, he should have, um, but this movie was made, I think, in 2000 or 2002, somewhere in there. And 20 years later, it still hits. Like, all the way through the the big picture, the theme of that movie, um, all the messaging behind it, the motivational speeches, the, the f- uh, football field crawl, the all the way down to uh, the accident that happens toward the end, like... This whole movie from start to finish is just fantastic all the way. Um, This is my favorite sports movie of all time. So to go back from five to one, we had White Men Can't Jump, Creed, A League of Their Own, The Longest Yard remake, and Remember the Titans. All right. I got to say, I wasn't sure what you were going to pick. I feel like we haven't really watched that many sports movies, Um, but... I definitely respect it. I love the addition of 
a league of their own in there. That was when I was just definitely considering. I mean, any Tom Hanks movie is pretty good. But yeah, just like you said, the historical impact of that, kind of bringing attention to that very short but uh, important era in American history, I feel like is is really cool. Remember the Titans? I mean, what a classic movie. I How many times did we watch that in school? <laughs> like um, so many times. <laughs> um, yeah, I will say, I've never seen White Men Can't Jump, the original. Um, I've not seen any of the Creed movies. I've also never, somehow never seen The Longest Yard. So, uh, <laughs> Mike's looking at me in disbelief right now. So, um, obviously they didn't make my list. And the other two didn't either. So we have two completely different guess, top fives. Uh, guess what we're doing this week? <laughs> um so yeah so no there will be no repeats i will say i i considered a league of their own that one came in my like next five that i would choose um because it it, this was just tough man it was just tough now i'm probably gonna get some flack for this actually i know that i will at number five you're already getting flack from me for not having remembered the titans (laughs) when you said there's no repeats I was like about to drink my water and I was like, what? <laughs> the spit take. Um, Remember the Titans was in my next five as well. I just, it just didn't quite make it for me. It was, it, it's it's tough. It's tough out here. There are a lot of good sports movies out there. Um, okay, at number five, it is the iconic movie from 2006. One of the, I think the the better movies that disney has ever produced it's cars the original cars i had to go with it the nostalgia um just the also the they had a great storyline the theme you know the themes in it um the the fact that at the end he he realizes it's not all about winning it's not all about all the the glitz and the glamour it's you know the the people that that matter and doing the right thing and all that kind of stuff and um it's just it's it's fantastic i had to put that at number five it's kind of tough that that beat out remember the titans (laughs) but you know here we are um mike Mike just can't believe it you you don't say man (laughs) Let, let me just say i'm not mad that you have cars in your top five so you're Cars is better than Remember the... T- Wait, well... You prefer it. It doesn't make it yeah. better. Uh-huh. Okay. I, that's how I'm right. I, I, just, I just preferred it. Let, let's, just, let's just go with that. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Yeah. It's perfect. <clears throat> okay. So that's number five. And number four, um, this movie is um, an extremely iconic movie. We're going back to 1993. Cool Runnings. The story of the Jamaican bobsled team. Um, I remember watching this as a kid. Uh, we watched it with my family. It's so, so good. It is hilarious. And honestly, I'm a sucker for the based on a true story sports movies. Like, that's that those get me every time. And the fact that this actually happened is great. The, the humor is great. And, you know... Again, it doesn't actually end like you think 
it would. You know, you you think that they're that these guys are gonna, you know, spoiler obviously. Um, you think that they're gonna win the race at the end because that's what happens, but they don't. Their sled breaks because they didn't have enough money to get a great sled, <laughs> um, and so it was kind of a who knows what would have happened. Um, but the idea of these four Jamaicans going out there and competing in a sport that's played on ice where they've probably never even seen ice before is just, it's too good. Uh, and the humor is just too good. So yeah, cool runnings had to come in at number four for me. Okay. At number three, I feel like this one you don't hear much about in terms of boxing movies, but it is my favorite boxing movie. It's Cinderella man. Um, with Russell Crowe playing James J. Braddock, who, and if you haven't seen this movie before, it's based in the 1930s, Great Depression, um, and on this guy who was a former, like, fighter, was kind of down on his luck, ends up coming back and becoming the um, heavyweight champion of the world. Um, and it's, the the acting is, is phenomenal. I mean, it's Russell Crowe, like, he's really good. Um, but the, the, the way that they're able to set the scenes of it, it really makes you believe that it's in 1930s, um, America and just like the, the, the themes of it, the, um, the acting, the realism was, it just always really stood out to me. This is another one that we watched in school a decent amount. Um, and it always really stuck with me as, uh, a really, really, just really solid movie. It's one of those where it's like, yes, it's a, it's a sports movie, but it's not really about sports. Um, it's about having the the desire to want to take care of your family and and come back and you know those kinds of, of themes that we we associate with sports sometimes. So, Cinderella Man at number three, um, and then at number two, this movie is based on um, the reason why forty two is my favorite number, which is Jackie Robinson. It's the movie Forty Two. Um, played by, unfortunately, um, the late Chadwick Boseman, who did a fantastic job of portraying Jackie Robinson, basically um, chronicling his story from getting called up, given the chance to break the color barrier in Major League Baseball, um, endure all of the racism and the hardships that, that he had to endure throughout that, and then, you know, being able to to come out and and be one of the the best players that the game's ever seen all the while being able to, to stay humble um, and, and do the right thing. It's something that we can all aspire to. And I thought Chadwick Boseman did a great job of portraying him. You know, Harrison Ford was in the movie as well, playing Branch Rickey, the general manager who gave him a chance. It's just a really, really solid movie. If you haven't watched it, I would recommend doing so because hit that story is instrumental in, the history of America. It really is. Um, and I can't say enough good things about that movie, but it's not number one, number one, it's Moneyball, um, which I think was able to translate across, not just people who, who like baseball, but uh, I know so many people who love this movie who do not really care much about baseball. Um, and the fact that, it's not just baseball. It's the fact that it's bringing in advanced statistics to re like 
I guess, redetermine how you can value players and how you can win at baseball. Somehow they they turned that into an Academy Award, a multi-Academy Award nominated film. This is probably Brad Pitt's best work that he's ever done. Um, not that he's like the best actor in the world or anything, but I think this is the one that he embodied the best. Um, it's it's fantastic. Jonah Hill in it is really, really good. Um, and, you know, they, they took a few liberties with what actually happened, but, you know, that's that's what they do with these with these things. Um, but honestly, the acting, the the screenplay, the the dialogue, the their relationships, and, you know, obviously the fact that it's based on a true story and it's kind of the this whole revolution is kind of the reason why the version of baseball we, we're seeing now is different than it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago uh, is because of of this and telling the story. So yeah, it had to be Moneyball for me. Um, I love baseball. This movie just, um, you know, sometimes I'll just go on YouTube and watch scenes from it because it's just so good. Um, but yeah, so to to recap, number five, Cars. Number four, Cool Runnings. Number three, Cinderella Man. Number two, 42. And number one, Moneyball. Okay. Um, I mean, I voiced my <laughs> Remember the Titans thing at the beginning. But overall, no, I like the list. Um, I have seen... So I've seen Cars. I actually just watched it again, like, last week. Um, girlfriend and I have been uh, re-watching some old, like, Disney and DreamWorks movies. So that was the one that we chose for last week. Nice. Um, actually... Per your recommendation. So there Respect. You go. Uh, I've seen Cinderella Man, albeit once, but from what I remember, I also really enjoyed it. And 42 is my number six, and I struggled between five and six. So I, I do want to mention a couple of other movies as well that, that were close in my, like, my next five. Obviously, Remember the Titans, A League of Their Own were in there. Angels in the Outfield is an extremely cheesy movie. It's also the only like sports related thing that I could get my sister to watch with me when we were kids. And she absolutely loved this movie. Like I said, it's very cheesy. It's very like kiddie, I guess. But the nostalgia and like the story of it were, you know, I still remember that as really enjoying watching that one when I was a kid on VHS. Kids these days just have it so freaking good. They're like, oh, this is only in HD, not 4K. I'm like, give me a break. Anyways, um, <laughs> American Underdog, a story of Kurt Warner, really, really good movie that uh, my wife and I went to go see in theater. Um, it's one of those things that I never knew all this stuff about Kurt Warner and knowing now what I didn't know then, it's like, wow, I, I have even more respect for this guy. Um, I thought that one was a really well-done film. And then also The Blind Side. Um, that one was one that I, I watched a, a decent amount growing up as well with the story of Michael Orr and, um, and that whole thing. It was really, really good. So I know we also didn't mention, or you mentioned briefly Rocky. Like, yeah. That it's a classic. We understand all that, but it just, it just wasn't for me, you know. 
Um, I I have watched it, but it just it was never going to make make the top of, of my list. There are um, some cringe moments to me in Rocky. Like, uh, I don't love the uh, quote-unquote development of the quote-unquote romance. It's very um, aggressive, let's say. Um, also, just I said that the film industry has evolved a lot in the last 30 years. But, like, when I watch Rocky, like, I watched it again, like, I think last year. And it was just kind of eye-opening to me, like, wow, these hits are, like, very, very clearly not landing. Like, you can see the space between the the first, and then you hear in the, like, you know, like, you hear the whack sounds or whatever. It's just clearly someone just, like, in the background, some, like, you know, I respect what the movie did, but that can't be my top five. Um, We Are Marshall. Uh, was my number seven. Uh, so four, five, and six, I played with the order of between Creed, White Men, Can't Jump, and 42. They were all above We Are Marshall, but We Are Marshall is number seven. Hey, based on a true story. Uh, there you go. Um, after that devastating plane crash that killed uh, the majority of that uh, Marshall football team uh, from a few decades back. Um, so uh, that was with Matthew McConaughey, who also not usually the biggest fan of, but hey, uh, I liked him in that. Um, also wanted to shout out Hoosiers, because um, this is a, a classic, like highly respected basketball movie. Um, and I very recently watched it, and... I just wanted to address it real quick. Um, I thought the main storyline of the movie was very good. Um, I thought it was well acted for the most part. Um, I thought like seeing the formation of the team and everything that they worked to achieve and everything. I thought that was really cool. My, my main complaint with the movie is that there are so many storylines that they just don't have enough time to commit to. So by the end of the movie, you're just like, wait, when did this romance develop? There were like three scenes with them. Or what happened to that principal that we saw at the beginning and then like fell over and now here he is again? Oh, wait, are we going to do anything with this character that we tried to build up? No. Okay. So it like feels very, uh, um, what's the word? Saturated? Um, like just yeah i guess like it's like a cluster you know like of a lot of things like it's it seems like for all the storylines that they were trying to put out it, it would be more suited to now a uh a series than right. a movie but but for what the main story was i liked it i just felt like the movie was trying to do too much mm-hmm. at once but I just wanted to address yeah. that movie. There are a couple of other baseball ones that are obvious classics. Field of Dreams is an absolute classic that will stand the test of time. Uh, Bull Durham as well. I I know a lot of people would have that one in their top five. Also Miracle um, and The Mighty Ducks. Shout out to the, the hockey movies. Those are like the two. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Um, and then... 
oh space jam we neither of us mentioned space jam but i know a lot of people would probably have that one up there too it's just it's not not my cup of tea but um i understand the 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 following that it has and all the original same thing with i just want to say the original space jam (laughs) we're not going to reference the the lebron one yeah um what you were saying before, same thing with uh, Sandlot. Mm-hmm. Like, I get it, but it's not for me. Um, and there was, oh, Karate Kid. Um, Karate Kid, I feel very similar to how I feel with Rocky. Um, I understand the cultural significance of the movie. I respect what it did. Um, and actually, very similar to the Rocky thing. I just prefer the spinoff uh now their spinoff is the uh the tv series cobra kai if you liked karate kid watch cobra kai uh it's on netflix it's one of my favorite tv shows right now um brings back a lot of the original actors um i mean the the two stars are literally ralph macchio who was daniel and william zabka who was johnny lawrence uh fantastic series but I respect Karate Kid, but not going to make the top five here. So obviously, as we've been talking, I'm sure you've been thinking of which ones would be be in your top five. So you can share those with us on social media or absolutely destroy us for (laughs) the ones that that just missed out um, of our top fives. But yeah, we're looking forward to engaging with you there. And when we come back, we're going to close out the show as always with the hot seat and fun fact. All right, we're back and it's time to get into our hot seat. So we're sticking with the uh, NBA playoffs. We've already mentioned this team a little bit earlier. The Boston Celtics, who are, you know, before we started recording, we're down zero to three. Um, By the time this episode comes out, I'm hoping that they'll have been eliminated anyway. But going into game four, we've got this quote from Marcus Smart. Don't let us get one. Uh, then we got one from Jalen Brown. Don't let us win tonight. Um. Well, they've already not let you win tonight slash they've already not let you got or get one three times in a row. <laughs> I don't yeah. think that's the biggest challenge in the universe. Yeah, it's, um, um, that was never going to happen. They they weren't going to let you get one. Yeah, they they weren't going to let you win. Also, theory here. This is they're just trying to save face and make it like try to kind of walk back how uh, demoralized they were in Game Three. Uh, they zoomed in on Al Horford during the timeout or one of the timeouts in game three, trying to motivate the rest of the team. And everyone just looked like they couldn't give fewer shits about it. It's just like they had the soul taken from them. And now they're like trying to speak like they are confident. And it, after what we saw in game three, it just does not sell well. Mm-hmm. It's like you're down three games to zero. Stop talking. Like you're still the favorites. Like, yeah, <laughs> like just don't say anything. Just, Go in and like actually play like you were playing the whole regular season. It's like 
don't let us get one because if you do then we'll only have to come back from three to one which has only happened a handful of times in history right Ooh. Uh oh yeah terrifying yeah not not the approach that i would have gone with to say <laughs> the least um also wanted to put an honorable mention in here i uh i saw this pretty much right before we hopped on to to talk so apparently somebody asked rob palenka the lakers gm you know what his plans were with the offseason they've got a a couple guys going into free agency and all those kinds of things and he ended up saying our intentions are to keep our core of young guys together which is like yeah i'm sure i'm sure it is you know whatever so then Kyle Kuzma ends up coming back saying, heard that before with four of the like sobbing emojis. Um, it wasn't that long ago that the Lakers had a really promising young core of, or yeah, a core of young players. They traded them all for Anthony Davis. So if I'm Austin Reeves, if I'm, you know, Lonnie Walker, any of these, these young guys, Hachimura, um, I'm looking over my shoulder. <laughs> I'm I'm reaching out to to Kuz and Brandon Ingram. Uh, I would say Lonzo, but I think he's he's just going to be in rehab um, for the next <laughs> rest of his life. Poor guy. Um, Damn. That I feel like that was just so uncalled for. But you know what? Maybe there's still a little bit of like Lavar Ball annoyance inside of me somewhere. I don't know. You know, it's funny you say that, like, if you took the dad completely out of the equation, which with LeVar Ball is basically impossible, but if you take that out of the equation, Lonzo Ball would be one of my favorite players. Like, I love his game. He's so talented. He's so versatile. He's so good. He gets paid so love... much money to not play. <laughs> I, I would love, love I would love a healthy Lonzo Ball on the Hawks, if not for his dad, you know? Mm-hmm. Which, to be fair, we don't really hear much from his dad anymore, or at least the the media are, are just like, yeah, we're we're not entertaining this anymore. But yeah, that is that is the uh, the honorable mention for this week. But it had to be the Celtics. It's just it's it's embarrassing. Yeah, it had to be. But yeah, like you said, thankfully the media is not entertaining Levar Ball anymore. Neither are we on the Mike and Dave podcast, aside from those few sentences but what we are entertaining on the mike and dave podcast in addition to you our lovely listeners is dave's fun fact of the episode what is it going to be this time all right so this one i did not know beforehand um i i told my wife the fun fact and she was just like oh yeah like I already knew that. So maybe this is morally more like widespread known than what I thought originally. However, and I thought about this too, that is not necessarily excluded from being eligible for the fun facts because it doesn't, the fun fact doesn't necessarily have to be something that nobody knows. It just has to be kind of fun or something that I think is kind of fun um, or interesting. So without further ado, this fun fact is about the Statue of Liberty. So, in 1886, when the French sent it over to the U.S., it was made of copper. So, obviously, it was the color of copper, like a brownish type of color. 
and just over time because of some chemical thing or whatever exposure to the elements means that copper ends up turning green so the estimated time that it went completely green was about 1920 so it took about 34 years for this completely brown statue to turn completely green and be the Statue of Liberty that we all know and recognize today. I just always assumed it was just green and I never really questioned why that was the case. <laughs> but no, it's literally like, I don't, it's just that way because of science and because it's been outdoors for a long time. Um, and also what a strange color to turn. I don't know. But yeah, that's my fun fact. Um, is the Statue of Liberty used to be brown and now it's green. So I did know that it used to be brown. I did not know how long it took to go from brown to green though. Yeah. I also, second part of this fun fact that's interesting. It's not actually known when it turned completely green because color photography wasn't invented at that point. So no one actually really knows when it it went green because you, there are no color photos of it because it wasn't invented. So you can't <laughs> actually tell. Um, so they're just guesstimating 1920. Um, but yeah, that's that was another interesting little tidbit. I was like, huh, I didn't think about that. Huh, that's weird. I wonder if, is it all copper that turns green? Uh, or is it like, could it have anything to do with the... Uh the water around it. I, I'm not a scientist. I mean, neither am I. So I'm hoping that's a rhetorical question and you're not actually asking because <laughs> I didn't, I didn't go that deep with my research. Um, just deep enough. Oh, <laughs> I, I was focusing a little bit more on the nuggets. Um, than I was this nugget. So I was going to say, we're relying on you for nuggets of wisdom here. And you got one. Just don't ask me <laughs> about different environmental things uh, interacting with. See, even me using the word things just shows how out of my depth I am right now. And talk to me about oxidation or whatever the hell. That sounds right. Yeah, yeah, oxidation. Yeah, that. Sure. Sure. Um, but yeah, that is my fun fact for this episode. And I believe before we close out the show... The only thing left to do, Mike, is there anyone, is there anything that you would like to say to the people before we close LeBron out the show? LeBron is annoying. Uh, feel free to add to this, but the whole like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do considering retirement, blah, blah, bullshit. Um, my prevailing theory is that LeBron is like, oh, damn, I've been, uh, knocked out of the playoffs so there's no reason to talk about me in the next two or three weeks how can i stay relevant well if sports center has to talk about the fact that i may or may not retire that'll do it that'll keep my name in the freaking news like oh my goodness like how um oh what's the what's the word i'm looking for uh egocentric yeah there you go. That'll work. Hey. How egocentric do you have to be to be like, oh, I can't go three weeks without my name being in the news. Let me just say I might retire. 
Like, come on. It's like, I'm so used to being in the finals that, and my name being talked about, I've got to figure out something. Now, do we think that he thought of this on his way out of the arena, or was this a carefully planned uh, plan B in case that he didn't win, that he went ahead and, and figured out ahead of time? I wouldn't be surprised if it was that, because I will say LeBron and his team always managed to, to spin the narrative towards him, which is a skill. It is definitely annoying. I completely agree with you. I hear you. It is kind of impressive how he's always one step ahead of these things and the media just com- continue to just eat it up. Um, I swear, it what like the headlines coming af- out of that game and, and after it, it wasn't about the Nuggets. It wasn't about the fact that the Nuggets are going to the finals for the first time in the franchise history and they just swept the Lakers. No. Is LeBron going to retire? What is he going to do? It's all up in the air. Oh, we thought that he was going to want to play with his son, but now maybe not. I don't know. Debate, debate, debate. Sports talk, sports talk, sports talk. Like, I know, I understand that we're also talking about it, but it's at the end. And just a little extra seg- bonus segment at the end. So, um, so yeah. But it, it is unfortunate. It is um, on brand, I will say. But I just felt like it was a little disrespectful to the Nuggets for all the headlines to just be about LeBron after he just got swept. 100%. And it's like, yeah, like what you said, you when you get the alerts and notifications and everything on your phone, you basically have to use deductive reasoning to figure out that the Nuggets won. It's like, oh, LeBron might be retiring. Why am I getting this notification? Well, it might... They wouldn't say it if he won. It must be because the Nuggets won. Why don't I get a notification? Nuggets win. Go into the finals. Yeah, it's just like implied. It's it's not. Yeah. Yeah, it's the the effect. It's not the cause or whatever. Um, So, yeah. I feel like that's fair. I feel like there are definitely a couple different camps, but I feel like yours makes a lot of sense, and it's, it's something we haven't seen before, so... For sure. Well, that's all that I had left to say. Um, Just had to talk about him being annoying. Uh, So that said, I guess that's all that we have for episode 55. Uh, In a couple weeks, uh, episode 56 will be coming out. Uh, The date for that should be June 9th. Um, I guess we'll be talking about the NBA Finals at that point. and not in preview format. Hopefully, it's over the heat and the nuggets. Um, but I'm not too concerned. Yeah. Um, Otherwise, you'll be hearing from us before June 9th. True. But, but yeah. So, hopefully, you don't. I think we're in the clear. It's just about to go into the fourth quarter as we're recording. And it looks like um, the Celtics are ahead. But it's a five-point game. So, I, you know. They'll probably choke it. Um, but yeah, um, then I think all that's really left for us to do is to say thank you for listening. Uh, we appreciate your support. We'd love to hear from you on social media, as we mentioned earlier, at Mike and Dave Pod. And make sure if you haven't already, hit subscribe or follow or whatever the, the little button says on 
whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. We appreciate that. And we will see you in a couple weeks, as long as the Celtics don't do something that's never happened before in NBA history. So uh, it was a little bold of us, but also not bold at all. But we hope that you've enjoyed our, our breakdown and um, everything else that we've done in this episode. Totally. Uh, yeah, everything you said. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, as always, this has been Mike. This has been Dave, and you've been listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. <laughs>